Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that brings you good times and great oldies, but neither of those actually. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Marty Schneider. I'm the other host. I'm Dan Ledwick. Hey, just, Marty. Just gave a bunch of promises I cannot keep. <laughs> Aggressively the opposite, I would argue. Hey, Marty. Yes, Dan? Can I tell you about a theory I've formed about, about just people in general? I don't know where this is going, but okay, sure. All right. So, are you aware of the uh, 2002 film Master of Disguise starring Dana Carvey? Yes, I am aware of this. Did you ever see it? I, I did see it. Do you remember the scene where they have to try to sneak into the Turtle Club and Dana Carvey misinterpreting the name dresses like a human turtle? Correct, yeah. He, he asks if he is not turtly enough for the Turtle Club. Yeah, wears a bald cap suit that's also a sure. shell. Marty, are yeah. you aware of the fact that while they were filming that, 9-11 happened? I, it is my favorite piece of IMDb <laughs> trivia. That they had to do a solemn moment of silence for 9-11 while Dana Carvey was in full turtle regalia. They gathered the whole cast and crew and in costume just did a, a moment of silence in remembrance of those lives lost in 9-11. And then, <laughs> and then he turned it on. He turned on the Mr. Turtle magic. Because Dana Carvey's a professional. <laughs> they would want him to finish Master of Disguise. If Dana Carvey didn't finish Master of Disguise, the terrorists win. Exactly. <laughs> then they take our freedom away. Our freedom to make Master of Disguise. A movie where the bad guy's big characteristic is that when he does his menacing laugh, he farts. I fucking love that movie as a kid. Well, Marty, my theory on human nature is that uh, when you tell that fact to a room full of people, there are two kinds of people. Those that say, why do I find that funny? What's wrong with me? And people that say, why would you possibly find that funny? What's wrong with all of you? I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that you recently yep. did that to a room full of people. Yeah. I'm going to say maybe your girlfriend's family. Yeah. And that the response was definitely the latter. It, it it varied. Yes. Yeah. There was um it was it was actually basically a 50/50 split of those surveyed, which is why I think it's the perfect segmentation of society. And the people who are the former are basically human beings I can connect with. Hmm. Yeah. How's that for a fucking intro? <laughs> It's better than anything I have, so... <laughs> I think we were all really brutal on Master of Disguise at the time. I think that movie, in its own way, fucking ruled, because I have never had Shut my up. mind blown as a child. Shut up. No. <laughs> I No children's movie made me that happy. I watched Pixar movies, acclaimed Pixar movies, and was like, yeah, this is pretty good, and I saw Master of Disguise, and... Kid me was just pumping his fucking fist. Shut up, Dan. They're gonna make us watch it. <laughs> yes. Shut the fuck up. Uh, to make me and Marty rewatch Master of Disguise, subscribe to our Patreon. Dan, god damn it, they're gonna make us watch Master of Disguise, and I hate you. Uh, <laughs> this episode, I think this is gonna be kind of a quick Andy Griffith uh, recap. The two episodes we're doing are 
good. Yeah. Like they're they're fine episodes. I I enjoyed both of them. Honestly, uh, one of them is the first time the Andy Griffith show has ever made me laugh. So it does hold a special milestone. You're a liar. No, I have never laughed at the Andy Griffith show. I have said, that's funny, but I have never out loud laughed. Lies, but okay. Yeah, Um, truth. I'll swear on a fucking Bible. Bring me a Bible. I'll swear on that shit. But the episodes we are talking about right now are, at least one of them is a very significant episode in Andy Griffith history. Uh, and that's the first episode we're doing right now. It's uh, season three, episode twenty-five. The Darlings are coming. Originally airs March eighteenth, nineteen sixty-three. Written by Everett Greenbaum and Jim Fritzel, and directed by. Every time he walks into a room, he taps on the wall, saying, "There's got to be a stud around here somewhere." And then he points to himself and says, "Oh, it's me, Bob Sweeney." <laughs> he claims that his land is fifty acres, but it's only forty-five, and that lie keeps him up at night. Bob Sweeney. And here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Andy has his hands full when a musical mountain family called the Darlings comes to Mayberry. Mr. Darling rents a hotel room for one person, only to have the rest of his family sneak in the open window and play mountain folk music. Weirdly, that is an extremely long Wikipedia summary, and that's not even close to the entire plot. (laughs) That's like one of the longer... And normally we would be like... Jesus, Wikipedia, give the whole thing away. Why don't you? This is the only instance where it has, like, more than one plot happening. In order to get a little bit of context on here. So, the band The Darlings. On the show, the band is four brothers, one sister, uh, all adults, and and then their father. Uh, And the father is played by character actor Denver Pyle. The... Sister is played by uh, another actress named Maggie Peterson. And then the actual, the brothers who don't say anything throughout the entire episode, who are just kind of standing around the background, they were an actual bluegrass band called the Dillards. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were like not a small bluegrass band. They were incredibly influential on most of your favorite artists. They opened for Elton John on his first tour of America. They are weird. They are the reason why Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones decided to pick up the mandolin. Like, they were incredibly influential, and this was kind of a time when bluegrass was having a resurgence, mostly thanks to shows like The Andy Griffith Show and the opening of The Beverly Hillbillies, which this honestly made me feel, I thought that this was the Darlings were almost like a Beverly Hillbillies parody. Yeah. Because they roll up in a jalopy that is overheating. Yeah, I I genuinely for a sec I was like, are the is the Darlings the name of the Beverly Hillbillies? Is this a crossover episode? Yeah, it is I, not, Mister Peanut Butter. Do you? Yeah, solid BoJack reference. Do you think they gave the in, instructions to the band to look as miserable as possible in every scene, or do you <laughs> think that that was like an acting choice they made? Because I could honestly see it going either way. Because they look so unhappy to be in every single scene. And I could see that being like, these characters are not happy men, or if they were just terrible actors. I don't know how they got on the show, and I'm sure if I read my Andy Griffith show books that are on my shelf, or did any research whatsoever, I'd know this. Never. They... They weren't famous. It wasn't like this was a big get for them. They were just like kind of niche influence uh, influencers. So 
I have no idea how they wound up on this show or why they built not just this episode, but like five other episodes around them. Can I go out in a limb and sort of, uh, can I really go out in a limb? I'm going to say that Andy Griffith is the reason they're famous. He was probably like their benefactor. Like, oh, absolutely. Andy Griffith probably found him on the bluegrass scene, was like, I'm going to make these kids famous, put them on the Andy Griffith show, and then started getting them booked. Oh, just like we did with uh, Max Ludwig. Yeah, so exactly. Were... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and now he's uh, he's selling out venues all across uh, the- Twitch. <laughs> yeah, all across Twitch. Jonathan Twitch called his- uh, his cousin Stephen Twitch and was like, "Hey Stephen, I got that hot new sound you're looking for. You know how you've been looking for a kid to play Castlevania poorly? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen to this. Yeah. That metaphor got a little mixed in the middle there, but I liked it. Let's go ahead and so yeah, let's break this down. So basically, the uh, opening of the episode is that this jalopy overheats, uh, it breaks down, and there's just steam pouring out of the radiator, which doesn't have a radiator cap." Uh, and this rassin frassin uh, old man gets out of the front seat. Uh, they have a horse trough. Uh, it's Andy they... calls it the memorial trough, and I'm like, memorial to what? To a horse? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, time to stop because it it is not a horse trough for horses because Mister Darling is very clearly like, there's no horses in this town, and Andy's like, yes, of course not. It is a memorial horse trough. So they instead of having like a fountain or any sort of like nice looking memorial. They just have a fucking horse trough. But it is a fountain though. Cause there is water constantly trickling into the trough. So I'm, that's what I thought it was. I thought he was just like using the town fountain. He, he gets up, he gets out father Dartling, uh, and he starts using his hat yeah. as a bucket. Uh, he starts using his hat to, uh, shovel water into from the horse trough into the radiator yeah he has a fantastic line of um he says uh she can usually handle about three or four hats full as he's like dumping it in as he's doing that andy like rolls up as he does just kind of like hey what's going on and it's a special thing about the episode is that mr darling immediately throws andy off his fucking game and keeps him there like andy is on his heels this entire episode it's a very weird thing to see uh and one of the commenters on the ultra reliable mayberry wiki pointed out that it feels like a season one episode and i think you've hit on why that is uh it's because it's been the first time in a long time we've just seen andy going what 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 are you what is and, going on here? Yeah, Andy has like one moment of dominance in this, and it is mostly Andy just being like, no, honestly, no, because it is mostly Andy being like, hey, I'm doing an Andy Griffith move. I'm clever. I got you. Ha cha cha. And then every single time, Mr. Darling is like, I know you don't. I do not respect you or your authority. You do not rule me. And Andy's like, ah. Yeah, and to be clear, like, it's not like Mr. Darling is outsmarting Andy. It's not like he's tricking Andy. He just doesn't give a shit yeah. about Andy. He he literally, like a true hillbilly, has no respect for the law or lawmen. Uh, and when Andy introduces himself as sheriff, I'm the sheriff around here, Mr. Darling's response is, yeah, more power to you. <laughs> yeah. And he just goes back to what he was doing. It's so boss. Like, you... <laughs> 
I'm pretty, Mr. Darling does many illegal things over the course of this episode. And I feel like the reason that he does not go to jail for any of them is that, like, they always cut away. And I feel like what happens is Andy is like, you're under arrest. You're coming with me. And Mr. Darling is like, no, I'm not. And Andy's like, fuck, and just walks away. It's like, no one's ever tried that before. Damn it. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and try to explain what is happening here. You'd think that Andy is popping in to be like, hey, do you folks need some help with your car that is obviously broken down? But as soon as like his authority is ignored, uh, Andy's immediate response is, yeah, well, it's illegal to dip your hat in our memorial trough. That trough is for horses only. What? What yeah. the hell, Andy? Yeah. Shut up. What? Show me show me in the Mayberry Town statue where it says, thou shalt not dip their hat. Apparently, the Mayberry Town statue is also biblical. Uh, <laughs> you shall not dip your hat in our memorial trough. It is only for horses, but also the memory of horses. Yeah. All the horses that died in the founding of Mayberry. Like, like Mayberry's founding killed a surprising number of horses. We're still sad about it, and we need to memorialize it. There are so many horse bones in the concrete of these buildings. You guys don't even want to fucking know about it. But- it's, it's, it's right next to an eternal flame memorializing all of the mayor's gerbils. <laughs> And the tomb of the unknown goldfish. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think their kids are, like, playing in it? Like, they're, like, throwing the water on themselves, and adults are just like, Hey! Our biblical charter says that you're not allowed to do that! That's only for fictitious horses! That's only- that's a memorial trough! That's only for ghost horses to drink at! You stay the fuck out of that running water! You're not allowed to use that! There's zero reason, especially dipping your hat. Now, he does say you can't park here, which, okay, the only reason I can think that you couldn't park in front of that fountain is if that fountain were technically a water source for fire, like it was a fire hydrant or fire plug, as they call it, in which case, clearly it's not just for horses unless the (laughs) horse is on fire and that's how the horse died. (laughs) See, see. Like, we just, have, we more... just have a fountain in town in case a horse on fire <laughs> runs through. Like... That's it. You can't park here in case the flaming horse has to get in. Has to get Steve in. just rolls into town. And he's like, Andy, 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 my horse is so dehydrated. If he doesn't get water right fucking now, he's going to die. Why is there a car here? Oh, damn it. I told oh. them. I told them this would happen. Oh, God. Oh, Hans, my horse is dead. Oh, now someone's got to go clean this horse off the asphalt. So anyway, uh, anyway, yes, that's what Andy tries to tell him. He's like, hey, you got to move along. At no point in time is he like, do you want me to bring you some water? Do you want me to push you to Wally's filling station? No, he's just like, you got to move along. And I feel like he probably would have been more helpful, uh, if A, the Darlings had indicated that they wanted any help whatsoever, and B, if if the adult female Darling was not trying to give him a handy the entire time. <laughs> All right. This is uh, simultaneously 
the most problematic and funniest aspect of the episode is that the darling daughter is wildly attracted to Andy for minute one and is constantly sexually harassing him, which is like, on one hand, it's hilarious because you get to see Andy actually run away from someone, but B, it's not okay because male sexual harassment isn't okay and it's like, uh, it's, a, it's like, like, dudes not consenting to sexual advances is often, uh, like, used for comedic purposes in America and it's not good. But also, like, you get to see Andy, tro- like, hop a desk to get away Wait, from someone. Good cancel blocking, Dan. Good cancel yeah, blocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thought you could cancel us. We're ready. I got this. I watched a YouTube video on this subject. <laughs> no, yeah. Her, her name is Charlene. Um, she is probably like 22, 23. Andy, even for the first time ever, is just like, I am old enough to be your father. This is inappropriate. Uh, let's also just point this out. Charlene is a fox. Yeah. Charlene is smoking hot. Yeah. Uh, and is, we, we mentioned how obvious, uh, Aunt B was with her horniness in the last episode. No, Charlene just almost has her beat. Yeah. Just the instant Andy walks in a frame is just like drooling. Uh, she even yells at her dad, like, I just want to look at the pretty man for a little while. And, but and- she can't. She can't because she is promised. She's already a promised woman. She's promised to, uh, and her father says it so many times, first class private A Judd Walsh. And ju- first class private A Judge private A first class Judge Walsh. Judd Walsh? I don't know. I think it's Walsh. Dudley Walsh. I think his name is Dud. Dud Dud Walsh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is coming in on the morning bus, and they're there to meet him. That's why they're in Mayberry. Yeah. Um, He he repeatedly says, you've promised since you were five. Yeah. So is is he, like, marrying their two families? Will they combine their farms and then have a whole three pigs? (laughs) (laughs) Like what is going on here? You know what I'm I'm gonna call the darlings are actually rich as shit. Like they have like seventy acres of and just a thriving farm with several farmhands. He's just fucking cheap. Like, <laughs> I like that reading. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. He he basically uh he he repeatedly emphasizes that the reason she has promised to him is because he left to serve his country. Uh, and gets real in Andy's face about it because he's like, do you not respect our army? And Andy's like, what? No, what? And he's like, do you want my daughter to give you a hand job? What? I don't understand because that means you hate America. I don't know what's happening. I'm <laughs> so on my heels more than I have been literally at any point in this entire show. So that's the basic formula for nine out of ten jokes in this episode uh, is... Charlene is chasing Andy, much to Andy's chagrin, uh, and in the middle of it, the father darling sees it and then gets mad at Andy for trying to whisk his daughter away from her betrothed. Yeah. Uh, there it is. That's 90% of the jokes in this episode. And you know what? They're funny every time. It's, it's really good. Every single line that Briscoe Darling has is gold. Like, the man is just, like... Uh, like ju- shooting half court shots every single line it's it's fantastic uh and the guy's delivery is exceptional uh best character on the Andy Griffith show so far i think by a like an easy mile oh until the next episode oh yeah that's 
Yeah, mm. then then's another gem. These are two fucking good episodes, but for different reasons than the last two good episodes. Uh, by the way, according to the Ultra Reliable Mayberry Wiki, quote, the inscription on the trough reads, David Mendelbright, 1870 to 1933. Let no horse go thirsty here. <laughs> So it's a memorial to David Mendelbright, who I guess loved horses. Uh, David Mendelbright, who, in honor of our town, drowned 15 horses. And also, apparently, uh, Municipal Code 907 is dipping your hat in a horse trough. Uh, so that is what the Darlings are in violation of. And I'm just going to say, once again, Mayberry Wiki, you're making this shit up. There's no way you can read that. There's no way this it's in this much fidelity. Like you can you can't even make out like like text that's been held up. There's no way you can make up an inscription. Someone just pulled that out of their ass. So the the other key thing that happened in the scene is that Briscoe, Mr. Darling, asks uh for where they can find a place to sleep. Andy points them towards the hotel, uh, and they get back in the car and almost run Andy over. <laughs> yeah, they almost <laughs> hit Andy with their car. I I just really cannot emphasize enough how I, much I love briscoe darling's open and flagrant disrespect for a law enforcement officer he is the original a, a cab he started this shit so the next scene is at the hotel where briscoe rolls in just him himself carrying like two paper bags uh and the man behind the desk is a like poindextery little dude named john masters uh john masters sorry and who we previously saw in the choir episode he was yep. the uh he was the choir director who we described as uh, Earth 2 Barney Fife. Yeah. What happened to Jason? Jason runs the hotel. Probably during the day and at night he's a secondary character on Rocket Power. Jason may have had to retire from the hotel business after uh, grave injury pulling a sick kickflip. <laughs> See, he started working as a mascot for Chuck E. Cheese doing their floor shows and uh, and just had to get out of the game jason got really into gymnastics and that was it again if you are named jason breaking mayberry is on the record as saying you should change your name (laughs) if you are over the age of 25 uh start going by j maybe that could work i feel like that's a realist a reasonable name for an adult so yeah so basically and here's what the wikipedia told us was going to happen um Briscoe claims that he's the only one that's going to be in the room, so he pays for the cheapest room possible, uh, goes upstairs, throws out a rope that he has tied to the radiator, and hauls his entire family upstairs. Uh, He also asked Jason, or he also asked Mr. Masters uh, if he's going to be around the entire time. So he (laughs) waits until Mr. Masters goes out for dinner. The most suspicious thing you could possibly ask, and... Mr. Masters gives an honest answer, which is being so bad at your job. Like, like, yeah, I'm I'm leaving my desk and this cash register at exactly eight o'clock. Go nuts. Uh, like, oh, do you also want to know the combination to the safe while I step out? You seem trustworthy. Uh, and then later he's like, I found that super suspicious when I asked and a I'm like, then why did you tell him, you fucking idiot? (laughs) Say it's at nine and go at eight. People in this town are such goons. The the, the darlings then uh, proceed to do the thing that everyone does when they don't want to be caught. 
have a very loud bluegrass <laughs> rehearsal. They have a hoot nanny. It's it's so good. And again, everyone doing the rehearsal. They're playing beautiful music. They all look goddamn miserable. Like they all like it is the saddest room. They look like they're playing a funeral like dirge. Not a a fun upbeat hoot nanny. It's so fantastic. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for Denver Pyle right now. Uh, not going to read how he died. Uh, but it's very interesting that you suggested that maybe the darlings are actually rich. Um, there's an like Denver Pyle has an entire section in his Wikipedia article that is just entitled "Oil Wealth." <laughs> Apparently, within a few years of his final episode of The Andy Griffith Show, Denver Pyle began investing in oil, buying oil wells that were thought to be near the end of their working lifetimes cheaply when the price of oil was two fifteen a barrel. By 1981, uh, after the uh, oil crisis of the 70s triggered a rise in prices to $46 a barrel, <laughs> he was rich as fuck. He made more money from oil than over 30 years of acting. And it looks like he died by getting his arm stuck in a wood chipper. Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, ironically, actually, uh, just drowned in oil. Uh, yeah. An oil derrick just fell on him. Yeah. <laughs> a refinery explosion happened, but instead of deafening him like in There Will Be Blood, it just took his head clean off. <laughs> Breaking Mayberry. Fun facts. John calls Andy. He's like, I know that they've got a bunch of people in there. So Andy knocks on the door. Uh, and then when they open it, it's Jeff Briscoe. And he's just got a jug that he's claiming he can make the music of every instrument with that. And Andy says, I don't believe you. And he basically just says, like, well, tough shit. I don't really care what you do and do not believe. <laughs> yeah, Again, I thought they but- were going to do a bit with this. I thought it was a setup for, like... He blows in it, and then like his his son plays the banjo from the closet or whatever. No, they they give that setup and then say <laughs> "fuck you." Like it, it, it's the the power radiating off this man because Andy is like, I don't think you can you can make any any musical instrument by blowing that. And he says, "Well, you know what? You can blow, Andy. <laughs> Me, <laughs> keep fucking walking." he's he's so powerful i'm i'm in awe of this man andy sees the rope tied to the radiator and he figures out what's happening and then he takes john out and they wait for the music to start up again andy says wait a couple of minutes and then go knock on the door he goes around to the back uh and is just waiting outside the window to catch the darlings and evict them basically uh and so he's and there's this long bit where, like, one darling brother comes down, and Andy grabs them and goes, shush. Another darling brother comes down, Andy grabs them and goes, shush. Uh, he, finally, the darling sister comes down and just grabs onto Andy and will not let go. Her acting of um of infatuation is very, like, over-the-top, like, uh, like, Looney Tunes, oh, man! Yeah. Like, that type deal. <laughs> she is just groping him openly. They fade to commercial, and she is just, like rubbing him rubbing his arm up and down and she is grinding on him like it is a middle school dance <laughs> like she specifically says thank you for taking me in your big strong arms and he's like well that's only because you were coming down the rope and she was like well how about i climb back up and it's like oh jesus 
This is, I'm surprised this amount of hoardiness was allowed on television. Also, uh, I, I do have to say, our listeners are probably tired of hearing us talk about people being horny. And I just want to say, we're tired of talking about it. <laughs> Blame the Andy Griffith show, the horniest yeah. show on television, apparently. We didn't think this was going to be our fucking lives talking about black and white people that are very long ago dead being aroused. But here we all are. Okay. All right. We all just kind of got to roll with it. No one knew this was going to be where the, we end again, up. No one told show. you life was going to be this way. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah. Uh, uh, so then... Uh, he, he catches her, and uh, she starts, like, grinding on him, and Briscoe sticks his head out uh, because he's been caught, and he starts to go, like, I caught you, and he's just like, don't you try to fuck my daughter! Don't you do it! And he's like, I... I'm not, I caught, don't you do it. And he's like, I don't want to. Like, good, because you can't. Okay, you're <laughs> under, uh, no, I'm not. Don't you fuck my daughter. I'm going to come down there. If you get handsy, I'm going to kick your ass. He's like, oh, okay, commercial. Okay. <laughs> Fade to commercial. <laughs> it's, so, it's so powerful. Again, king, kingship from this man. Uh, the next scene is... Uh, on the front porch, Aunt B and Andy are hanging out, and Andy's falling asleep, and Aunt B's just got like a thousand yard stare, just vacantly blank staring into nowhere, and finally, Andy, what shall I make for supper? <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Uh, she chides him uh, for not complimenting her white beans. Which that sounds disgusting. Um, no, braised, braised white beans is pretty good, honestly. Really? Like, yeah. I'm 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 picturing like a kidney bean type stuff that's just like cold. It sounds cold. No, no, no. It's 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 more like a stew. It's like a braised bean stew with like oh, vegetables and stuff. That sounds good. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Andy didn't compliment it enough, and sh- and he says, uh, "Well, I ate ten bowls. That's a pretty big compliment." Uh, or. Probably four bowls is more realistic. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Apparently they can... Whatever, let's move to the no. to the actual point. Apparently they can hear the darlings playing from their porch? What? I thought Andy's house was, like, out in the fucking woods. Like... It's it's not out in the woods, because, like, we've definitely seen that it has sidewalks and stuff, and Opie can walk to school. But it's like... I, mean, I, I don't know what the map of Mayberry looks like, but the, the darlings are in an... Op- an empty building in like the middle of town it, and apparently playing playing so loud that Andy can hear it from their porch. If if Andy is, is earshot from the center of town, why does he need to drive to work every day? Good question. I don't understand that this is continuity breaking. I'm livid. I'm as mad as I've ever been that the geography of Mayberry no longer makes sense. Anyway, Annie, like, follows the music until he finds an abandoned building that is, like, there's dirt on the windows, but he knows what's going on. He knocks on it. Uh, there's a little funny bit of Briscoe, like, making a circle, like, cleaning up the glass in a circle so that he can see through and see Andy, whatever. Uh, they open up the door. This is a pretty funny instance of groping. Um, is that... <laughs> 
and, and really he's sitting there telling them, hey, guys, you can't just squat in an abandoned building. I have to kick you out. Meanwhile, a hand just reaches out from the door frame and just starts rubbing Andy's pecs. <laughs> just just a hand and an arm. <laughs> yeah. And to the point where it, like, only the, the sons are standing in the background. And for a brief second, it looks like one of the sons, while having a vacant expression, is just touching Andy before you realize that it's just, like, her from out of frame. It's so good. Uh... And and uh, Briscoe says like, oh, which numbers did I violate this time? And he's like, a three oh seven. You squatted in a building without the permission of the owner. And uh, so they start to leave, and Andy's like, wait a minute, I've got a place for you to stay. And you go, okay, where's this gonna go? And the answer is jail. Yeah, I really <laughs> thought he was gonna put him in his fucking house. <laughs> I did Wait, too, but the answer is the he time. puts them in jail. And I don't understand what is the difference between like suggesting someone spend the night in a jail cell after they do something illegal and arresting them. Yeah. Like, Those seem very similar. The like, line between them is very thin. Andy is always like, you're not under arrest. Come stay in this jail. Hey, you are in a, under arrest. Come in my house. Come live in my house. <laughs> like, it's so weird. He uses jail and his home interchangeably. So does the show. Yeah. Uh, and so they do. They they hang out in the jail cell and Aunt B brings them a bunch of white braised white bean stew. Uh and then Andy Griffith's like, Hey, by the way, I'm Andy Griffith and I have a rare disease where if I don't play the acoustic guitar on television at least once a week, I'll die. <laughs> so it's time for me to do this now. <laughs> and he joins them for a uh for a bluegrass session, whatever, fine. During contract negotiations, executives say, like, oh, yeah, sure, you can get a pay bump. We're going to cut down your on-screen guitar time. How about that? How about that life force that sustains you, Andy Griffith? Uh, also, Briscoe has an incredible line where Andy is like, uh, all right, what key are we playing in? And Briscoe says, jump in whenever you can and hold on. It's yeah. so good. And, uh, like, Ampy gives them the white beans, and uh, and they're all, like, super happy. And you think, and then that's basically, like, the end of the episode, right? Yeah, like, that's where I was like, oh, okay, uh, directed by Bob Sweeney, executive producer, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I was like, oh, there's, like, eight minutes left of episode. What it has the here? longest stinger. Everything after this is stinger. But the stinger is basically an entire episode of television. Because after that, uh, the darlings are waiting at the bus station for Dud to show up. And they're like, where the hell is Charlene? Uh, and then we cut to Andy trying to get out of the jail while Charlene blocks it with her entire body. And she proceeds to chase him around the jail cell, which doesn't sound that funny. But Andy Griffith is actually being fucking hilarious he sells it very hard because he's like he's not just like oh no i'm bobbing and weaving he jumps furniture he uses chairs as barricades <laughs> at one point he does say like charlene i'm old enough to be your father your promise to that boy that's gotta mean something he's in the military service uh and uh, her only thing is uh i won't tell aunt b uh yeah like yeah she says i won't tell your aunt which is what yeah, what? how is that even a viable objection? And uh, so, so 
of course, Briscoe walks in on uh, Charlene holding on to Andy, uh, and he's like, okay, fine. You're going to have to fight Dud. We'll settle this thing correctly. And Briscoe's like, or Andy runs from Mr. Darling to no. the Darling brothers, who again have done and said nothing but look from completely miserable. Rewind, rewind, just rewind. Said, like, I, I gotta stop you. I gotta stop you, Marty. I must stop you. Because the specific way he says that is, we will settle this in the natural way, tooth and claw, nature's law. The craziest fucking way a person has ever said that two people are gonna fight. <laughs> yeah it's insane he, and and he's like i don't want your daughter and he's like tough shit you're fighting this guy because nature and <laughs> and then andy manages to escape but briscoe has his sons block the door so he basically tries to lock the chair the the sheriff in his own jail until an army guy can come beat the shit out of him. The something he'll do man. on his own, just like just leave him alone. He'll lock himself in the cell. Like yeah, it's so good. He does it like twice a year. <laughs> the uh, natural law, tooth of claw. The writer who who came up with that was the first Andy Griffith room writer to experiment with cocaine. Uh, like they were all on highballs, and he was like. Gentlemen, have you tried this white powder? It's uh, it's from the South. I've heard great things about it. Tooth and claw, nature's law. They must fight. Make them fight. And he must make a man. Must fight an army man for love. Briscoe, darling, hoot nanny, <laughs> ghost horse. <laughs> Are you all writing this down? That's what it's like and, when you're on and- cocaine, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a pretty I, pretty fair description of cocaine, I think, Dan. I know that. Uh, Andy goes out to like tell Dud that we're not going to fight or whatever. Dud comes off the bus and he is a dud. He's like he's just, he's just like a dorky looking dude. Like they just went out and found. He looks like Miles Teller, to be honest. Yeah, uh, he he looks like a failed attempt to make Miles Teller. Yeah, like yeah, you like, didn't quite perfect it. Like on an Animorphs cover, if a character was turning into Miles Teller, this would be like the second or third incarnation of Marco, like morphing into Miles Teller. I could have just gone, I could have made Miles Teller one of the Animorphs and said that he was morphing into an animal, but I decided to go the opposite route with it. He's on page 46 of turning into Miles Teller. The the ending for this is not super satisfying, but it's pretty much the wrap up, which is just that like Dud gets off the bus and he's like, "Hey, Charlene, here's the letter I wrote you, and here's the necklace I got you, and I missed you a whole lot." And Charlene is like immediately charming. They're like, "Okay, let's go run away together," and that solves everything. Do 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 do. Mister Darling is like, "Oh, I'm really sorry, Sheriff, that you didn't get to fight for her love." And he's like, "Oh, well, you know." Some men have it and some men don't. And just he really sells his his sheer exhaustion and that he's just happy that this is over. <laughs> and that's it. Roll credits. Yeah. Uh ratings. Um Andy Meter, I like this episode. Like I, I think it's a ten. I think I'm not gonna give it a ten. Like, cause like sto- the story is weak. There's yeah. barely anything here. Uh, but it's like it's enjoyable like it's a fun like 20 minutes of television uh there's not much there's not a whole lot of meat on them bones but the performances are fun yeah uh and the the bluegrass doesn't 
overstay its welcome like it tends to do. So I'm going to give it like an eight. Yeah. I think it's the first time like all season that the music on this show has been good. Uh, Briscoe is like a refreshingly good guest character. And mostly the entire show is just in it, like giving him stages in which to do bits, which I really appreciated. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a 10. I think it's a, I think I, I was delighted through, uh, through most of it. Um, Barney meter. Um, so yes, it's, it's, it's not good to play male sexual harassment for a joke, but at no point in time does this show like act like it is a good thing. Like no yeah. one's ever like, no one's ever like, Oh, come on. You should be happy to be sexually harassed by her. the show. The show does not do any of that. The show doesn't act like it's a good thing. Um, so, I mean, Barney meter is pretty low for me. Uh, uh three. I'm, I'm going to put it at a little bit higher. Um, yeah, no one, no one does anything particularly fucked up, but there is that like, like the the it's like a very very light version of that um get him to the Greek joke where like when a hot woman does something gross to a man, it's it's totally cool and okay. Um, get get him to the Greek is like the worst example because Jonah Hill is like actually raped. Yeah, so I think it's it's not cool, but it's it's like some some uh like weird extended misogyny bullshit so i'll put it at like a uh like a six all right yeah uh so that's pretty much that and that that concludes that episode it's a fun one i enjoyed it uh next scene next episode next episode we're doing is season three episode 26 andy's english valet originally airs march 25th 1963 written by harvey bullock and directed by Come on down to the diner. We got the best chicken and briscuits you ever tasted, or my name ain't Bob Sweeney. All right, one sec. I got to get this delivery right. The progenitor Bob, the original Bob from which all other Bobs were wrought. Before him, there were only Roberts. Bob Sweeney. And the the one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. English tourist Malcolm Merriweather, a gentleman's gentleman, goes to work as Andy's valet to pay his traffic fine. So let's get this out of the way. I love Malcolm Merriweather. <laughs> he delights me. Is all right. Everything about this character is perfect, and I love him. Or, I love Malcolm Merriweather. Malcolm Merriweather is delightful. <laughs> is his British accent real? Yes. Oh, yes. really? Because it sounds extremely fake. Okay, well, let's put it this way: the actor is the actor is Welsh, uh, but he's probably doing a fake accent he probably do he's doing what he knows an american thinks uh a british accent sounds like that's what it is because i was like okay his british accent keeps drifting into like irish and scottish and like sounds vaguely welsh at times so yeah he was like a welsh guy doing a fake british accent that's what that was so uh here's where so uh this man is portrayed by an actor named Bernard Fox, uh, who was also uh, a regular on Bewitched, uh, and he was one of the colonels on Hogan's Heroes. Uh, our audience will know him mostly for the stuff he did at the end of his life. Uh, in in 1999's The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, he was the drunk old uh, Air Force pilot mm-hmm. that flies them in through the storm. 
that and gets attacked by Billy Zane's face. No, not Billy Zane. That dude is not Billy Zane. Uh, the mummy Arnold wasn't Fossil. played by Billy Zane. No, the mummy was not Billy Zane. Are you sure? Everyone thinks it's Billy Zane. It's a man named Arnold Vosloo. Billy Zane was the bad guy in, or a bad guy in Titanic. Mm-hmm. He was one of the jerk guys in Titanic, uh, which uh, Bernard Fox was also in. He was one of the fancy, uh, like first class passengers in Titanic. So that's probably where our audience would know him. Is there from. an actor that's more unintentionally funny than Billy Zane? The guy who was uh, who was also the Phantom, one of the saddest superheroes I've ever seen. Okay, I love the Phantom. Again, newspaper comic strips, mm-hmm. and that's one of the like the movie is just so nineteen ninety three. I can't like it was it, like I I saw that there was like a a nineteen ninety three version of Phantom. I was like, I've seen what the Phantom looks like. They definitely updated the costume. Oh my God, no, they didn't at all. <laughs> Billy, what did you do? Billy Zane rocking them purple them purple panties. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. So th- that that's Bernard Fox. Uh. And in this, he plays like a fop. That's the only way I can think. He's he's a little like he's a little nebbish character. He's a fancy uh, he's, little he's gentleman. A little, he's a fancy little gentleman. He's very absent minded. Uh. He's on vacation. He's on holiday. He's on a holiday. Uh. uh and. I literally, I just want to pick him up and then just carry him around while picking him up. I don't want to, like, I just want to be like, oh, here's my Malcolm. Do you guys want to see my Malcolm? I want to have him like a Furby. That's basically, like, I just, he's just this adorable little guy that I just want to have. Uh, he's wonderful. Aunt B is leaving uh, town again. Uh, she's going off somewhere and she's doing the whole... Andy, will you and Opie be okay uh, since I'm leaving? We've seen this begin. We've seen this before. I, um, I, it was so exhausting. I'm just gonna skip past all of this. Uh, and blah 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 blah. The Andy is outside trying to load Aunt B's stuff into a car. Uh, and then a guy on a bike comes by. He asks Andy if he's looking for the town constable. So there's a little bit about the difference between sheriff and a constable and how the same. Uh, he mentions that uh he works for one of the colonels i'm assuming in like the royal army yeah he he's a gentleman's gentleman for the colonel uh which is one of the things uh that a british person says on this this show that sounds like it could be right but definitely isn't i'm very confident that's not a thing they say for butler out in england there are so many english isms that they just straight up made up like malcolm just is like well you seem awfully shelled do you want to quisp over to the uh to the boppity do like he's just doing like cartoon character gibberish and everyone's just like ah england ah yes would you care to do a whip it on the boppet and pull it (laughs) So basically, he's just asking Andy for directions to Route 42. I guess he's going to go there by bicycle. Uh, it takes a little while. Uh, Andy, like, writes them down on his map, draws him a little route, and says it's kind of complicated. Um, and the other thing you should know is that uh, this gentleman talks a lot and just talks in Britishisms for a while. Hmm. Uh, Which you'd think, in the track record on this show, we would hate... Because typically no, when a character does not shut up, we're like, oh my god, we get it. But this is just like, I could listen to this little little dude go on for hours. 
Uh, he's from Heckmondwike, England. Mm-hmm. And uh, he introduces himself, asks where he can find a constable. Uh, and he figures out it's a sheriff. He directs Malcolm to the hotel. Um, later on, so basically, Andy is... or so Malcolm it rides off on his bike. He's staring at the map while riding his bike. Uh, he causes a traffic accident. Uh, a, yeah. A, he- a vehicle that, like... Stops suddenly to avoid hitting him, loses all of its cargo, but, and falls. But off. also, still hits him. Uh, yeah. Like the car. To be clear, yeah, this guy got hit by a car. He got hit by a truck, and so you need to keep that in mind for the entirety of this. Like uh, the guy is like, I had to swerve to not hit him, and as a result, I hit a bunch of crates and broke all my stuff. And it's like, but you did hit him though, so you did a super bad job. Because you managed to uh, to still hit him, but also wreck your truck. So this is kind of on you for sucking so bad. In my book. In my book. I'm just like, I, I think it's the guy. I don't think it's Malcolm. Uh, so, anyway, the guy that hit him, Farmer Floyd or whatever, uh, brings him into jail. Barney drags Malcolm in. Uh, Barney goes wildly xenophobic. Uh. And while they're, like, talking to Malcolm in the jail, and Malcolm's like, yes, I've done a collywobble this time. I deserve a right dressing down. Uh, I've tooped. I've made myself quite a bippity boop. I've tooped the boppet, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've squared the circle. I have to make things right. And so Barney goes wildly xenophobic. He's like, this fella ain't from around here. You wonder where he's from. Like, Maybe Canada. A, he calls him a troublemaking foreigner, which yeah. there Ooh, we go, Barney. Ooh, yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, like uh, there's there's some original sin shit. Uh, like you're you're seeing something fucking boil. Malcolm Merriweather uh, intends to pay off his debt. Right? Uh, he's like, okay, well. However much the damage has cost, I'll pay it. Fletch assumes that it's going to be 30, 40 bucks, which looking at the calculator in 1963 would be about $330 today. So a good chunk of change. And he doesn't have $330. Or as he describes it, 14, shilli- 14 pounds, three shillings, and a, and a f- picture of a cat? I got nothing. I don't know what the... To- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, uh, 14 shillings, 17 quid, 18 rupees, 7 gil, uh, and, and 33 money, spelled M-U-N-N-I-E. <laughs> 73 so, credits from Batman Beyond. Oh no, my fictitious England money. Andy says, well, maybe I'll, maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe you can work off the debt. So here's the thing, right? Andy, of course, is like... I've got work to do around my house because Andy's just like, once again, he's just like, well, I've, I got someone over a barrel. I could put them in jail or I could have them w- do work for me. Do you think um, he gave the guy his $40? Do you think Andy was like, hey, he's going to do housework for me. I'm going to give you $40. Or do you think he was just like, hey, hey, hey he's, uh, he's going to work at my house and you can suck one. How about <laughs> yeah. that? In, in, or, in order to make any sort of justice whatsoever out of this Malcolm would have to work for Farmer Fletch yeah, he? yeah. or Andy Fletch is has... the guy whose truck is broken 
or Andy has to give the guy money, which I am very confident he did not. Because <laughs> we don't see that guy for the rest of the episode. Yeah, like, uh, like the guy was just like, hey, what about my $40? And Andy was just like, hey, what about my $40? <laughs> yeah. Shut up. No. So the next scene, again, we've seen this before. We've seen Andy going prison labor before. It's very strange how... Uh, this particular episode is like a mixture of plot elements from three or four episodes we've seen before uh, and shouldn't work, but it does. Uh, Malcolm, the first thing we see him do is break a window with a ladder because he doesn't understand it. Uh, Opie shows up. They have a little conversation about England, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's delightful. Andy bonding with this guy. Also, the ladder thing is so well shot. Bob Sweeney was sober for this episode. The ladder thing is is so well shot that it actually prompted me to go, no, out loud. <laughs> he's just so innocently setting up the ladder and then hard, hard cut to the window breaking. Basically, what, what starts the whole thing off is Opie asks what's for dinner uh, and Malcolm says, oh, I can fix dinner. That's something I'm much better at than whatever it is I'm doing here with this ladder. Uh, and that's how it kind of uh, turns into off. Malcolm is just like, because Andy rolls up and Andy sees the broken window. And he's like, ah, oh, shit, I guess that's fine. And Malcolm's like, hey, let me make you dinner and also clean up because that's kind of more of my wheelhouse. And Andy's like, I guess. Sure. Uh and then Andy returns home later. The house is clean, and Opie comes down in a in a little suit with like his like a hair... little velour suit. Yeah, with his hair like combed to the side, and he's like, "What is happening?" I'm... And he looks adorable. He's like, "He made me put on a suit because it's called dressing up for dinner. He made me take a bath. It's only Wednesday. I'm freaking out a little bit." And Andy's just kind of like, ha <laughs> Yeah, Andy's having so much fun with it. He's like, no, 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 no. You're going to keep that suit on. We're going to keep you, make you super fancy. Uh, and, the- and then Malcolm comes in and it's like, oh, welcome home, Mr. Taylor, sir. Uh, let me draw you a bath. And and, and, and it's like, and like, I'll prepare your suit. And Andy's like, um, and not like, no, I'm an adult. I, you, you're not going to make me take a bath. He's like, all right, you're the second person in two episodes that's at all confident, so I guess you're bathing me? I I don't really know what to do when people stand up for themselves. Andy is so conflict-averse in this that he just pretty much just rolls over and lets this little Pillsbury Doughboy of a man just, just run rampant. There's only one line. Him. There's only one line he draws, and that is... Like, Andy demands to be able to put on his own pants. That is the like, line that made me laugh for the first time in the history of this TV show. Is, uh, it's like a hard cut to, like, uh, like him being served by Malcolm. And then just suddenly just him going like, no, give me my pants. You're not putting my pants on for me. Give them. And Malcolm's like, well, no, sir. And he's like, no, give me my fucking pants. It's a great moment. Uh, so yeah, uh, they have a nice fancy dinner. He makes him some kind of nice soup, some, some bangers, some bangers and mash, bubbles and squeak, Britishism, Britishism, Britishism. There's a, a, an okay bit where, uh, Barney Kramer's in just enters the frame. It's just like, Hey, 
And he, he runs in, basically, he sticks his head in. Hey, Andy, you want to go to the, the gas station and get a bottle of pop? <laughs> it's the same thing to ask a friend to do. Like, hey, Marty, do you want to go to Wawa? Not even Wawa. Do you want to go to a 7-Eleven gas station and get and get a couple of Arnold Palmers? Does that sound like a thing you want to take time out of your schedule to do as friends? I mean, having not left the house for several months, if you invited me to do that, I would scream. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, if you sent me that text, I would go, yes, please, let's do this. <laughs> um, mask on and then go. Uh, but under normal circumstances, I would kind of go, Dan, get out of my house. No? <laughs> yeah, Dan. Right. That's true. I, I, I had the assumption that you would like send me a text or something, no. but this is you entering my home. No, just like, hey, man, I walked over here. Do you want to go get a soda? Like, sit somewhere and drink a soda? No, a gas station. Like, do you want to walk into a place, get a soda, and then leave that place as friends? Do, does that sound good to you? Does that sound a way you want to spend your evening, Marty, my good friend? And shit, dude. I mean, no, honestly, like maybe it's quarantine getting to me, but there's no way that that doesn't sound lovely. <laughs> I'll be sure to put that on the books eventually. So side note, I'm recording in a place that isn't mine. Uh, so if the audio quality sounds different, that's that's why. Uh, and their like robot vacuum just <laughs> kicked on without warning. So now I'm watching this fucking thing. Uh, steal my my headphones. Oh, shit. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Don't give those back! <laughs> oh, God. I genuinely thought he'd seen some sort of ghost. <laughs> you woke. I had a pair of headphones like, on my back. I had a pair of headphones on my back. I had a pair of headphones, like, next to my backpack that was on the floor, and I didn't expect this robot vacuum to sh kick in during recording, and it just grabbed a bunch of wires out of my bag and just dragged them out. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's it. You gotta watch out for those Roombas, man. They'll fuck you up if you give them a chance. They're constantly probing for weaknesses. It's not even a Roomba. They're way too cheap to buy a Roomba. It's like a Doomba. It's like a <laughs> like an off-brand. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's it's got little like googly eyes on it. It like it smokes constantly coming out of the back. So um, yeah, so Ma so Malcolm uh serves him dinner. There's a bit where like Barney comes in and Malcolm's like, "Oh, shall I make another place for the table, sir, for, for supper?" And Barney feels very, like, underdressed in Andy's house. So he makes a bunch of excuses and leaves. And it's says, right. I need to go home to pick out my outfit for the evening. I I haven't dressed for the evening yet. Because he immediately assumes that this is a normal thing that everybody does that he didn't know he was supposed to be doing. Because he is a stupid, insecure moron. Uh, uh, it's okay. It's a good bit. There's... Uh, Andy Griffith does some fantastic eye screaming in this. Like, just like, Barney, do you want to join us for dinner? Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. N n no, no, I'm good. I, I got to go home and put on my suit that I always do. Are you sure that you don't want to join us for dinner? Like, it's just great that Andy is like immediately wildly uncomfortable with this whole situation. 
the next scene, the next day at breakfast is Opie getting super... Opie loves Malcolm. Yeah. And it's so cute. I love this bit. I love Malcolm, like, doting on Andy and uh, Opie so much. He's drawing faces on eggs, like eggshells for, for Opie. I think not a uniquely British thing, but... But it's, it's cute, whatever. Yeah, uh, it's and delightful. Ma- like, like, Malcolm is bringing the newspaper. He says uh, he's got... Andy wearing his tie, his full uniform, including wearing his hat. Uh, he's like, oh, I, f- I found your hat for you in the back of the closet, sir. This needs a little brushing, but I'll have it ready for you in, in a jiffy. Andy tries, like, this is funny bit of Andy like, nope, I got to go. I got to get out of here. Bye. <laughs> bye. He's just, he's just like, he's like, all right, Opie, you're on your own. Bye. Yeah. And just bails on his son. It's- uh, and Malcolm is already out by the car, which is like a full on town car. I don't know where the hell this came from. Yeah, he just, like, got his hands on a car. It's great, because, like, Opie's like, I love Mr. Malcolm. He's so fun and whimsical. And Andy's like, listen, Opie, I gotta bounce. Just don't say anything. I gotta go. And then sneaks out, and Malcolm is fucking waiting for him there. It's so good. I like the idea that maybe Malcolm is just, like, actually extremely useful and extremely resourceful, but he cannot help himself at all. Yeah. He can only use his abilities to in the service of others. Yeah. Cause he's, and he's so happy. He's so happy butlering. It's great. It is it's so fantastic. And he like it's it's kind of weird because he uh when he puts Andy in the car, he drapes a blank uh, like a blanket over him, which is some shit you would do for an old ass military veteran in England. So he kind of <laughs> is projecting the colonel onto Andy. 100%. Yeah. It's like he this dude has been brainwashed into like gleeful servitude. It's very very creepy. The way he's just like Yes, yes, Lord, let me serve you. I love it. I'm so horny for servitude. Please, please let me butler for you. I I, I can't. I need to serve. Please. Oh, God. Like, let me ask Let me ask a question. I'll probably wind up cutting this. But when 1960s audiences heard the phrase, a gentleman's gentleman, mm-hmm. was that supposed oh. to be like a friend of Dorothy kind of thing? Was that supposed to be like a code word? I feel like it could totally be coded that way of like Malcolm is giving Andy unwanted gentlemanly affection because it is not like it's not like he's just too helpful. He's all up in his zone. Well, I'm 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 just no, I'm I'm even just reading it from like that what you just said where he's projecting the colonel onto Andy. Like He's away from the man he loves. Oh. Uh, and I, maybe, I mean, I he, says, he, he says he's on holiday, but like maybe the colonel's dead. Like maybe, maybe, maybe he recently lost the man that he loves and is oh. projecting that, that onto Andy. Yeah, he's, like, he's traveling the world because the older man that he loved died and, and he thought he'd found a new colonel in Andy, which, uh, and then Andy kind of pushed him away. It's potential. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like this headcanon. But yeah, he, he gets his hands on a town car somehow, drives Andy into work, uh, by put uh, puts the blanket on him, you know, whatever, and makes him sit in the back. Uh, and, uh, and not just, like, puts it over his lap, puts it on his lap, and then drapes it over his shoulders in a way that 
no one could possibly want. Andy Griffith is so visibly uncomfortable, it's fantastic. The next scene is Barney and Andy coming back from work to Andy's house. Uh, and Barney's like, you need to tell this guy Malcolm to knock it off or set some boundaries, which probably true. Yeah. Uh, but but Mayberry is just a land of extremes. Mm-hmm. No one can just be like, hello, Malcolm. Yes, it is okay when you do this and this, but not when you do this and this. Please knock that off. No, it's either it's all or nothing with these people. Yeah. Uh, and they open up the door and Malcolm and Opie are playing on the, uh, they're having fun. Like he did, built one of those like paper ladders. Like you push it up with a newspaper and like streamers fly everywhere. Uh, and they hear Malcolm talking about, or Malcolm says how much he's enjoyed working I've really enjoyed being with an American family. Uh, this has been the best part of my holiday is taking care of you and your father. I've just, I've loved being here. This actually means so much to me because he doesn't know what to do when he's not serving. Yeah. Yeah. That aspect is, is uh, pretty sad, actually. Like, I, I, I'm glad that we're going to see, like, I looked ahead. We are going to see Malcolm Merriweather at least two more times. Really? Like, he, he's going to be a recurring character in here. Uh, but I was just like, can we, can we get this, like, regularly? I love the idea of Andy being, like, a good old boy Southerner who just has an English butler for some reason. I loved that perspective. Make this a regular thing. It's so good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he is really committed to it, so it means a lot to him. Uh, and then... Uh, so that's that's kind of it, and we kind of get another fade, and then the next scene is Barney rolling up and dropping off their uniform. Uh, it's later that night. They go out to the porch, Barney and Andy, uh, and they're talking. Basically, they start talking mad shit about Malcolm. Yeah! And Malcolm can hear them. He came downstairs to get something for Opie uh, and hears them through the window saying, Boy, Malcolm's really nice, but man, I need him to stop. I we got to get rid of him. I I hate everything he's doing, and it makes me very, very uncomfortable. Uh, and Malcolm just like goes back upstairs very sadly. Uh, I mean, we can pretty much wrap up the episode from here. Yeah. Uh, next morning, Malcolm has left. Uh, he left a note saying he had to be called away very suddenly. He would send the money. Uh, and Opie is very sad. Opie's just sitting there like, what? why did this guy leave us? What happened? Where is Malcolm? I, I'm, not, I'm not hungry. I want faces on my eggs. I was really enjoying this. Uh, I'm developing and, abandonment issues as we speak. Uh, the way they figure out what happened is uh, Barney comes over. They find out that Malcolm left. Oh, there's this great bit where uh, there's a knock at the door. And Opie's like, oh, Malcolm's back, Malcolm's back, Malcolm. He opens the door and he's like, ah, oh, it's only Barney. Ah, oh, God, it's Barney. They figure out that Malcolm overheard them um, because they see the stuff that Malcolm like went to pick up and then left there when he left. Uh, and Andy goes, well, I'm going to go out and look for him. Malcolm has gotten, I don't know, two miles because <laughs> he's on bike. Uh at most. It, finding him takes all of 35 seconds. Yeah. Uh, he pulls over Malcolm and he's like, he does his like Andy Griffith thing where he doesn't ever say, please come back. He's like, what are you doing? You got a lot of nerve trying to run away like that. We got to get you back to do some wobble dangling and 
woolly wobbles <laughs> and drawn faces on eggs and blah, 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 you got to do it's some heffalumps and woozles in my house. Uh, he, and that, and, he yells and at it, him like, while smiling twice, and yeah, it, he, it's the, the know, move. It, it's the Andy Griffith move where, I'm just, where he like winks and nods. Whatever. And then Malcolm goes, okay, I'm going to come back now. And uh, the final stinger is uh, Aunt B is back home. Malcolm is teaching her how to do all the things, saying this bubbles and squeak and bang as a match in the freezer. Uh, a whole dozen eggs with faces on them until you get the hang of it. Okay. Uh, and it's just Andy and Opie speaking in fake British slang to make fun of Aunt B, who can't understand them. Uh, and it's funny. Uh, I, I should. We have been making fun of the fake British slang. The real ones that I did take down are a regular Bobby Dazzler uh, and Fix you some snap. You both seem proper clemmed. Like I think that, that one might be real. No way in fucking hell is fix you some snap a term for making you lunch and proper clemmed. No, no, absolutely not. I'm going to say it might be real. England is a real place full of real human beings. You can't I, I say have, this stuff about them. I have been there. Yes, I know. Yeah. Treat these people with respect. They would never say you seem clemmed. Uh, they would never say disagree. Bobby Dazzler. How dare you? Agree to disagree. Um, so that's it. Uh, ratings. I love this episode. Fucking- I love Malcolm Merriweather. It's a, a nine for me. It, it it it's only a not like it's not a ten because the jokes get a little repetitive. Uh, but. It is, it's a 10 on the Andy meter, and it's a 4 on the MASH meter. I don't know, man. I I like this better than I like a lot of episodes of MASH. I, I like this a lot. I, it was good. And uh, Barney meter, um, other than, like, Barney's rampant xenophobia, which no one ever, like, checks or anything. Yeah. Like, so, 4, 5? No, probably, I'm going to stick it at a 4. Yeah, it's like a 4. Or, honestly, I'm gonna put it like a two. There's not really enough like meat on any of the bones to be that offensive. Uh, there's like one line of xenophobia. Oh, actually, you know what I am gonna say? Uh, a uh, a servant who's really, really, really into being a servant. It's not not good. Not ideal. Yeah, ideal. it's yeah. it's kind of some Dobby shit. Love yourself, Malcolm. Yeah, like, it, it, take a day off. Yeah, we're getting into that's like a little bit of a problematic stereotype, but other than that, we're cool. Like a, a four, a four. Yeah, uh, I guess yeah. Two two fine episodes of the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, I'm not worried about it because we've still got some ridiculous shit to go in the future. We've got some guests lined up that I'm excited for. But that was just a quick one, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm just going to wrap us up. As always, on the internet, uh, you can find me. I am at Schneid Remarks on Twitter. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds, two Ds. And on Twitter, our show is at Break Mayberry, Facebook.com slash Breaking Mayberry, uh, Instagram Breaking Mayberry, Patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Music you just heard and will hear in a second is by Max Ludwig, who is on Twitch as at Sleep Talkie. Uh, and... Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you do so, I will talk to you on the phone for five minutes at your discretion. No sex stuff. I, You're still going with that. I'm still right, going that's... with that.
I'm going to do All it right, at uh, least once. That's really it for us. Feel, please continue to tune in. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll see y'all down at the fishing hole. Boom, 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 boom,